Welcome to The Way of Christ, a path for spiritual growth presented by Church of the Incarnation in Dallas, Texas. Each week, we will explore central topics of the Christian faith and practice, emphasizing what it means to be a member of a community committed to spiritual growth in Christ. Our focus for season one is mapping the Christian faith, and episode five is titled, Who Are We? Part Two, A Pilgrim People, The Church as Christ's Body. Today's discussion is led by Father Joe Dewey and was originally recorded on October 8th, 2023. Gracious Father, we pray for thy holy Catholic Church. Fill it with all truth and all truth with all peace. Where it is corrupt, purify it. Where it is an error, direct it. Where in anything it is amiss, reform it. Where it is right, strengthen it. Where it is in want, provide for it. Where it is divided, reunite it. For the sake of Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Savior. Amen. Okay, dear friends, we are now in the fifth week of mapping the Christian faith And we have gone through a journey already this far. We've discerned where we are going, that is to God. We have discerned how do we get there, that is through Christ. We have also discerned how do we know the way, and that is through the the Holy Spirit illuminating to us His Word, uh, illuminating to us the way through the Scriptures. And we've asked who we are. And we've answered what it means to be human, and we're, we're going to continue to develop that who are we question this week in our exploration into the church. And what we will discern is that we are a pilgrim people of God. We are a people on the way. Now, I mean, we have discovered that we are growing up in Christ, and, and we have looked at that in some ways, that view of sanctification last week in, in, in a couple ways, but you could have discerned, probably improperly, that it was an individualistic journey, a journey into the soul in which we, you know, put on habits of grace and, and grow up, take off our old nature, put on our new nature, and it's just about our individual self-actualizing, which is what so much of our culture is all about, the growth that our culture offers. But in fact, that was not the message, and we will see even more fully that the message is that we do that work within a community. You see, unlike our culture, unlike the hyper-individualized version of our culture and highly atomized and individualistic culture, we understand that to grow up is to grow into a community, a belonging. To be made in God's image is to be made in the image of a triune God, a God who has existed forever in relationship. And therefore, even us as we're made, male and female, he makes us in his image. We utterly need one another. And so he is building up a church, a community, a true community that is fundamentally understood as a community in relationship to itself and to God and with one another. And so, friends, we recognize that this is not an individualistic project, but it's a communal project. And we also recognize it's a project that is a pilgrimage, meaning we will never get, we won't get there until the end. There's a city, the heavenly Jerusalem. There's a final end for which we are going. It's the heavenly city. We start in a garden that develops into a city. And this city is what frames who we are. The heavenly Jerusalem, this city, 
is where we are going, and it is what frames where, 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 where we are and where we are going. And so the true identity of the church is, to use a fancy uh, theological word, is eschatological. It's oriented towards its proper end, the city, the heavenly Jerusalem. There are a couple of different ways in which uh, Reformed uh, theologian Richard Hooker, uh, an Anglican divine, has, has, has sought to shed light on the reality of this church in our present age. And so we're going to do something very theological first, and then we're going to get into the images of Scripture that we see about the church. But let's start with this more theological lens to which we understand there are two different dynamics or dimensions of this church. One, the mystical body of the church, the mystical church, the mystical body of the church, and the visible body of the church. Let's first unpack what it means that we are a part of a mystical body of the church. The mystical body of the church is the church... uh, throughout all ages, it is the communion of the saints. It is the reality of which that the elect, the people of God, are those who are marked by sincere faith and love. There is, there is only one church, the mystical body. It, super, super, uh, it, it, is, it transcends the visible church, though it is not to be differentiated utterly from it, um, as we will get into. But the mystical body is the church bound up in Christ in heaven and on earth. It is the, the elect of those whose love of the Lord is sincere and judged by God alone. It is the people who have responded to his promises and faith who live a truly holy life and will in the end be found in the city of God. This is our true home the mystical body. I want to read to you a quote about that mystical body, which is found on the back of the sheets that you had from Richard Hooker. It says, That church of Christ, which we properly termed his body mystical, can be but one. Neither can that one be sensibly discerned by any man inasmuch as the parts thereof are some in heaven and already with Christ and the rest that are on earth, albeit their natural persons be visible. We do not discern under this property whereby they are truly and infallibly of that body. Only our minds by intellectual conceit are able to apprehend that such a real body there is, a body collective, because it contains a huge multitude, a body mystical, because the mystery of their conjunction is removed altogether from sense. See, the, the idea here is that there is one church, one body in Christ we share as a communion of saints with people dead in the Lord, and those from all around the world, we are in, in, in a real sense mystically united to Christ. There's only one church. This mystical body is what we pray about after receiving Holy Communion. You recognize that language in the Book of Common Prayer where we say together, Almighty and ever-living God, we most heartily thank thee for that thou dost feed us with these holy mysteries, with the spiritual food of the most precious body 
and blood of thy Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And dost assure us thereby of thy favor and goodness towards us, and that we are very members in corporate in the mystical body of thy Son, the blessed company of all faithful people, and are also heirs through hope of thy everlasting kingdom. You know those words. What it's saying is in, in receiving the holy mysteries of the Eucharist, we are, in fact, made into the church. Augustine says that the, the Eucharist makes the church. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a reality of, 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 of when we partake of the Eucharist, we're connected, joined into Christ with all the saints. St. Paul talks about this, that we are raised to the heavenlies, seated with Christ. Even now, you are here in the pews. I know your body is. But somehow, because we're united with Christ in our baptism, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're actually bound up in the heavenlies right now. It's a profound thing. So there is a mystical body, and there's also a visible body. And again, I, I, we differentiate. The, the mystical body transcends the visible body, but it isn't altogether different, altogether different in the sense that they are utterly um, the, they're the same at all. The, the, the mystical body simply transcends it. And those in the visible body are joined to the mystical body in their faithful participation in it, in this world and in this life. But we also recognize that there are some whom they're not recognized by our Savior who do the works of our Savior. You can remember in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus says to some who've done great things in his name, depart from me, I've never known you. So we can't completely equate the two but we shouldn't altogether separate them either. There's a tension there. But the visible church is marked as those who have faith and doctrine of the church and live out the moral, ethical expectations of the church. This is what the visible church deems, this is what we deem essential of the visible church. Those who confess the creedal commitments that ultimately summarize the biblical teachings of uh, the apostles, and those who practice in their lives a holy life. Uh, the, these, these are the marks, and so this is, this, is, this is what the church visible looks like, those who believe these things and practice these things. We say in our creed that we believe in the church. We believe in the one holy Catholic apostolic church. These are the marks of the spirit, but marks of the church. This visible church is one. There is one visible church spread throughout many nations. Our unity is in Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's only one church visible in the world and I know that it is um, divided by denominations and race and social classes. This is inherently a renunciation of what the church is. Every time we divide ourselves, it's, it's like we are renouncing who we are in actuality. So um, there's a differentiation of what is true and how we live our lives. This is true of our baptism. You are marked as Christ's own forever, and yet you live away uh, a, a, di a different life. So there's a reality that the church is one. 
even as we are divided um, in the world denominationally and racially and with all kinds of classes. Nevertheless, the visible church is bound up in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We are holy and our identity is holy and it's derived not by the holiness of all of our individual members, but the holiness of Christ in whom we are found in and in whom we are called to follow. It's Catholic. Catholic means pertaining to the whole, universal, sometimes it's translated, but it is to say that we are, uh, uh, the, the church it spreads throughout time and space. That the church uh, is, uh, is visible uh, after the resurrection of the dead at all, all different places in the, around the world and throughout um, time that you could, you could identify Christ in his church. And it is apostolic. The church's life rests upon the mission of Christ in the proclamation of the apostles, and therefore their teaching. Apostolic is, is, a, is derived from the, 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 the sent Jesus, and, uh, and therefore him sending his apostles to proclaim good news in all nations. And so the church is marked by this apost uh, apostolic nature, and that we are sent by God. There's much we could describe here, but what is the case that the church is visible around the world? You could identify Christ in his church all around the world. Those marks are fundamentally marks of Jesus Christ in whom we are joined to. He is one. He is holy. He is Catholic. He is apostolic. And we, in our baptism, we become members of him. And so when we don't live in unity, when we don't live holy, when we don't live in, in, uh, in, in the teachings of the Catholic and apostolic faith and aren't sent in the ways we are, we're actually renouncing who we are as Christians and as a church. There's a lot more that could be said there. But we're on the way. And that means we're not perfect yet. We're being perfected. And that is why we are a pilgrim people. I want to highlight for you the prominent images of the church in the Bible, because I think it fleshes. All these, these, these theological terms are fleshed out when you get into the, the, the rich imagery of Scripture. There are three images that, that uh, perhaps run most um, prominently in Scripture. There are more than three, to be sure. But three images that I want to focus on this morning. The first is the people of God or the family of God. The second will be the body of Christ. The third would be the temple of God. So let's start with the people of God. Genesis 12 is one of the readings you'll see in your handout. One through four, I want to read to you this amazing text. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the, the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him 
Abram was 75 years old and departed from Haran. You see, this is the beginning in some ways of God's renewal project of the world um, in and through a particular family. He calls Abram to himself. And what does he say? I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. You'll have descendants, as many as the stars in the heaven, and this nation will be a blessing, or as later writers pick up, a light to the Gentiles. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to the nations or the Gentiles. You see, from the very beginning, the church, the family of God, Israel, was set apart, called by God, blessed by God to be a blessing for the whole world. What you see in this is actually a missional calling upon Israel. Interestingly, the land that is marked for Israel in the, in, in the, the unique geographic location, it is this thoroughfare for all the traders moving from Egypt up along the Mediterranean into Europe and from Europe down into Egypt. It is not necessarily that it is the most special place on earth. It's fought over, but why was it so special? Perhaps it's because all the nations will have to come through Israel to get to where they want to go. And they will see there a unique God, the Lord, the God of Israel, to be a a God unlike any other God. You see, God wants to be known. That's very much at play from the beginning of his creation, of of his calling of Abram, that, that, that this special country, this special nation, Israel, would, would be a light to the nations, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, so that all the, the nations of the earth might see something unique about the Lord, the God of Israel. And of course, this is picked up throughout the, the New Testament. This is, in fact, the, the boom, as my professor in, uh, of, of seminary, of the New Covenant, my, my professor in seminary said that the most unique thing about the New Covenant is that it is, it is like the big boom in which opens up the covenant to the nations in a unique way. It is the fulfillment of this calling of Abram, that the nations, many of us Gentiles, would be included in the household or the family of God, such that we would be heirs of Israel. You see, this is, of course, where we are going. This heavenly Jerusalem is even picked up in that final city. It is a city of Jerusalem. This is the, the, the vision we get in Revelation, or in, in Revelations 21, that heavenly city in which we are going to. So, the people of God have always been called to be different, to be unlike the other Gentile nations, and so too is the church, the Israel of God. So you see that the church is, from its origins, a missional community. It is a missional community. The second imagery I want you to see is the body of Christ. The body of Christ is really, uh, is, is really critical. If you see this anywhere, you'll see it in that 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14 text in the middle of your handout. Let me read it to you. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of, one of the body through many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jew and Greek, 
slave or free, and we were all made to drink one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but many. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no decision, dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You see, the church has no significance at all without Christ. A body has no significance without a head. And the church is derived, her, her whole being, our whole being is that we are united to Christ, the head. This image of, of the Bible is, 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 I mean, sorry, of the church is paramount for us. It is the case that the church shares in Jesus' life and work. Jesus goes around teaching and healing. And the first thing you, you see in the, the, the ministry of the apostles is teaching and healing. There is no difference in the, the, the mission of Jesus than the, the mission of the church. We are people who proclaim in word and practice in deed the life of Christ. And this is so, this is critical for our life. And each of us are members of the body and we have different gifts to offer for the work of proclaiming and practicing word and deed. And it all starts with the reality that we are members of Christ through our baptism. I want, I want to read to you Again, one section on the back of your notes from Augustine. He has a profound uh, reflection on this reality of the church as the body of Christ in his, uh, his reflections on Psalm 30. He says, but in fact, he who was, he who designed, but in fact, he who designed to assume the form of a slave and within that form to clothe us with himself, he who did not disdain to take us up into himself did not disdain either to transfigure us into himself and to speak in our words so that we in our turn might speak in his. Without him, we are nothing, but in him, we too are Christ. Why? Because the whole Christ consists of head and body. The head is he who is the savior of his body. He who has already ascended into heaven, but the body is the church, toiling on earth. Were it not for the body's linkage with the head through the body of charity, so close a link that the head and the body speak as one, he could not have rebuked a certain persecutor from heaven with the question, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The head was crying out on behalf of the members, and the head was transfiguring the members into himself. We'll stop there. You get the picture in that, that, that confrontation with Saul, who became St. Paul, that to persecute the church was to persecute Christ himself. Christ so aligns himself, so is organically united to his church, that he can't even differentiate between the two. We are... <clears throat> united to him in such a way as that. 
There are many implications to this reality that Christ is the head, the overseer of his church. We derive our polity in the Anglican church, the Catholic and uh, Orthodox churches do as well with regards to there being three offices to the nature of governance in our, in our, in our church body. An uh, episcopos, the overseer, um, is, is a bishop. That's what you derive the, the language bishop from. We're the Episcopal church, the church that has bishops. Now, um, there are three offices, a bishop, a priest, and deacon, and this is, is developed over the course of the, uh, the, the church's history. But uh, chief among the episcopos, the, the primary bishop of the church, the head of the church is Christ. It's just fundamentally true. And any human being who sits in the office of bishop is, um, is only derived from the reality that we are, uh, that Christ himself is the head of the church. Interestingly, the, the great, um, one of the uh, church fathers, Ignatius of Antioch, said, whenever the bishop appears, let the congregation be present, just as wherever Christ is, there the Catholic church. You see, there's no separation. And a bishop that acts in the, independently of the church, the congregation, now I'm speaking of, of polity terms, is not fundamentally acting in accordance with the life of Christ and his church. There is utter unity in those offices as it should be. The final image I want to put before you is that of a temple. And temple is a big deal in the Old Testament. The building of the temple is, uh, it, you see that in the building of the, uh, Solomon's temple, the, the Shekinah, the glory of the Lord, hovers like a cloud in the temple. And then uh, you see that, that in the New Testament, that Jesus says, I am the temple. I, you know, he, he, he says, if you tear this down, I will rebuild it in three days. And of course, he's saying the temple is his body. That's a very important thing. And then St. Paul talks about your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And then St. Paul also says that the, the, the temple, the, 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 the new community of the covenant in, in Ephesians 2, that, um, that now Gentiles are included into the temple. You'll, you'll note that in Old Testament, the temple, uh, there was a, a, a separate space in which Gentiles were not permitted to attend. And one of the big booms, as I was talking about in the mission of the church in the new covenant, is that Gentiles are incorporated into the temple. Jesus of Christ being the chief cornerstone of that temple, and you and I are actually bricks in that temple. We're built upon that chief cornerstone. So the, the church is, in fact, this temple, and of course that, pick, that picks back up in Revelations 21, where we're going, where the church is ultimately this city, this heavenly Jerusalem. And where is Jerusalem? Why is Jerusalem so significant? Because it's the place of the temple. Isaiah 2 makes a prophecy that, that the temple will be lifted up high and the nations will stream in to that temple. So there's all this building up of the church being this multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational community in whom they find their proper place and they're built upon who? Jesus, the chief cornerstone. This is, this is the imagery that we get of that church. And of course, this temple is not yet fully built at least in our imagination, in the visible world of history, 
But in the mystical body, it's already complete. We have this reality that we are already in Christ. So every time we partake of Holy Communion, we are partaking of a foretaste of this kingdom. I, there's, a, there's a wonderful um, prayer in the prayer D of the Eucharist in which it says, grant that all who share in this bread and cup may become one body, one spirit, a living sacrifice in Christ to the praise of your name. Remember, Lord, your one holy Catholic and apostolic church redeemed by the blood of your son Christ Reveal its unity, guard its faith, and preserve, preserve its peace. So every time we partake of this, uh, the, the Eucharist, we're in fact partaking of the foretaste of what is to come, this heavenly city where the temple is and where we are one with God and in him and complete. It's just a profound reality. It's a foretaste of God's greater kingdom come. So, okay, these are the three images that you see in the scripture for, um, for the church. But what, one of the things you'll see is, if you go to a church anywhere, <laughs> is that uh, the difference between that heavenly Jerusalem and the reality can sometimes feel like it is um, so far away. Um, there's a great line, and I've quoted it a number of times in my sermons, that um, the greatest cause for atheism in the world today are Christians. <laughs> Christians who proclaim Christ with their words, but renounce them in their life. And this is the reality of the, the life in which we live in. That there is, um, there is a, 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 a transcendent reality of all of us that, that is true. It's true of you, that you are one, that you are holy in your baptism, you're made Christ, but you're, you're, you're on the way. We're on the way. We're a pilgrim people on the way, and we fail and don't live into the reality of who we are all the time. And it's also true, as Jesus promised us, that there are wolves in sheep's clothing, and that the church itself is, uh, is uh, sometimes in this visible world filled with people who actually don't have God's glory in mind and are not set on honoring him with their lives. And so we, we have to just recognize this pilgrimage dynamic when we think about and imagine the church. And one of the passages that's pro, perhaps most prominent for us when we think about this is the parable of the wheat and the weeds, where Jesus says that the wheat and the weeds will remain. And it's, a, it's an imagery of one plucking, um, of, of not wanting to pluck out uh, the, the, the good uh, wheat um, and also pluck out the weeds because you might also pluck out the wheat with it. And he's, he's ultimately saying that the wheat and the weeds remain in the, the season in the church, meaning that the church is, is, is uh, unfortunately in this era of church history filled with both holy and unholy people. Um, an old seminary professor used to draw two big circles. Imagine one big circle is the visible covenantal community. And we regard all in this this circle as Christian. They've been marked by baptism and they proclaim faith in Christ and we regard them as Christian, period. And yet we're always also aware of this remnant, at least in the Old Testament is what it's described as, um, 
the mystical body, you might say, um, in which um, is smaller. It's inside that circle. It's, it's smaller than the big circle. And, um, and so we, we, we can't discern who is in and who's out. It's not really even ours. It's not our job to do. It's the Lord's job to judge these realities. But we recognize that's just true. There is that reality. Even still, we, we, we baptize people. When we baptize people, we regard them as Christian. And we call them into Christian holiness. And that's what we do every single week when we proclaim the gospel and say, live according to it. We don't want that quote by Brendan Manning to be true that, um, that, that we are the cause for atheism. We want our lives to be a light to the nations. We are blessed to be a blessing to the world. That is what our fundamental calling is, to be a missional people who reflect God's holiness and his character. Looking at our time. And we are up. So I'm going to pause. <laughs> and I'm going to pause there and then uh, and, and, and give us maybe five minutes for, uh, for questions. There's a mic right here. Thank you for that. That's very enlightening. Uh, noticed in my history that in almost every ecclesiastical tradition, uh, there is arrogance. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's ever <laughs> noticed that. Um, there was a, I grew up in one branch of the German Lutheran church and there was a story that St. Peter was giving a tour of some new folk, new arrivals in heaven. And he said, now, when you go by that room, you have to be very quiet because those Lutherans in there, they think they're the only ones up here. <laughs> so, but I think that there is a difference between arrogance and a humble realization and appreciation of the traditions that we live in and support. Yeah. None is perfect. Uh, but I think arrogance is another thing that makes uh, people agnostic or, <laughs> yeah. or not yeah. be here. So I just think that's something that's we need to be concerned. I mean, you, and you wrap that into your presentation. Yeah, your the beginning of uh, the church was made up of blessed are the poor in spirit. That's the beginning of becoming a member of the church. And so we never, we never supersede being humble. <laughs> Other questions or comment? You spoke of um, the Eucharist as being a foretaste of the heavenly kingdom. Yeah. yeah. Would you also talk about how the physical architecture of, the, of this yeah. congregation, of this place is also that, so that when we go and we participate in Holy Communion, could you talk about, I just, I yeah. just love that thought. Yeah, you've probably heard it said that the church is not a building, it's a people, and that's true. It's 100% true. We are living stones, living members of, of the temple. But space matters. <laughs> and space shapes us, for one, pedagogically. This is a, a space in the shape of a cross. And it's called a nave in which, you know, nave's a, 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 a space of, of a boat imagery that is an ark. And we are like Noah's ark on the boat of Christ's salvation. And so, um, yes, it matters in, this, uh, in the, the area of shaping our imagination and longing for the city. Um, but also we get the sense that space matters because the body of Christ is, uh, is, is physical and earthy. And so, that, um, so, so it's, um, it's actually not just 
instrumentally good, it's, um, it's ontologically good, as, 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 as it were. So um, there, I could say more about that, but we'll hold it for that. Maybe one more question. How do Jews, Muslims, and other religions fit into the mystical body of the church? Um, the first reading you gave talked about, suggested if you're not in the mystical body of the church, you're cursed. And that doesn't resonate with me very well. <laughs> yeah, the, the language from Genesis 12, I assume, is what you're referring to. Um, well, the only way into the mystical body is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How, how in the, I think one area to, um, and this has been said before, but um, there's only one way to Jesus. Um, our ability to perceive um, how others will find their way through Jesus to God um, in the end is um, beyond my, my scope of, of, of knowledge and reason, but I know that Jesus is the way. He's, he's God incarnate. And so I, uh, I entrust all other people, Jew, Muslim, agnostic, and atheist to Jesus and his mercy. Uh, his, his mercy is as far greater than I can imagine. It's been great in my life, um, and as I imagine, as it has been in all of y'all's. So. Let's finish in prayer. The Lord be with you. Let's pray. God Almighty, we thank you for your mercy, which is great. We thank you for your church, which is beautiful, even as it is broken. We pray for its unity. We pray for its reformation. We pray, we pray Lord, that you would make us one holy, Catholic, and apostolic, invisible history as we are in reality. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to The Way of Christ, a path for spiritual growth. Join us next week for episode six titled, What's Stopping Us? Part one, the obstacles in the road, sin, death, and the devil. Those in the Dallas area are invited to join us on Wednesday nights as we dive deeper into our weekly topics in a dynamic group discussion. This podcast is produced by Church of the Incarnation located in Dallas, Texas. Our sound editor is Robert Nash. Our theme song is Raise a Voice by Emery. Follow us on Instagram at IncarnationDFW or on Facebook at Church of the Incarnation. For more information on our church, please visit our website, www.incarnation.org. Thank you for listening.